0: Chapter Sixteen of Workhouse Characters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Workhouse Characters by Margaret Nevinson. Chapter Sixteen Your Son's Your Son. My little son is my true lover. It seems no time ago since he was born. I know he will be quick and happy to discover the world of other women and leave me forlorn. Sometimes I think that I'll be scarcely human if I can brook his chosen woman. Anna Wickham Oh dear, oh dear, Wailed the old lady burying her face in her pocket handkerchief to think as I've lived to see the day, I've always lived with Orris, and have always prayed that the Lord would take me unto himself before I was left alone with my grey hairs. A poor pretty thing she is, too, with a pair of blue eyes and frizzled yellow curls, dressed out beyond her station in cheap indecencies of lace, showing her neck and arms, as no proper-minded girl should and she won't have me to live with them. I, who have never been parted from Orris, not one day since he was born, thirty year ago, come Sunday. Yes, I've got Esther. She's away in service. She's Johnson's child. I've buried two husbands, both of them railway men, and both of them dying violent deaths. Johnson was an engine driver on the Great Northern, and he smashed himself to a jelly in that accident near York, nigh on forty years ago now. I said I'd never marry on the line again, hating accidents and blood about the place. However, it's a bit lonesome being a widow when you're young, and Thompson courted me so faithful, at last I gave in. He was Orris's father, a guard on the Midland, And he went to step on his van after the train was off, as is the habit of guards, none of them ever getting killed, as I ever heard of, except Thompson, who must needs miss his footing and fall on the line, a smashing of his skull fearful. Yes, I drew two prizes in the matrimonial market good, steady men, as always came home punctual and looked after the jennies in the window-boxes, and played with the children. But as Mrs. Wells says, them is the sort as gets killed. If a woman gets old on a brute, she may be quite sure he'll come home safe, through all perils both on land and water, and live to torture several unfortunate women into their graves. Horace was a toddling babe then, and Esther just ten years older, Fortunately, I was a good hand at the waistcoat making, and so I managed to keep the ome going. Horace was always very clever, and he got a scholarship, and worked himself up as an electrical engineer. One of the ladies got Esther a place at Copped Hall, Northamptonshire, when she was only thirteen, and she's done well ever since, being cook now to Lady Manoring at thirty-six pounds a year. No, she's never got married, Esther. A chap she walked out with wasn't as faithful as he should have been, a-carrying-on with another at the same time. And Esther took on awful. I believe, though, she's one as holds her tongue, is Esther, at all events. She's never had aught to do with chaps since. She's a good girl, is Esther but Oris and me were always together, and he always was such a one to sit at home with me, working at his wires and currents, and had taken me to see all the exhibitions, explaining to me about the positives and negatives, and the volts and amps. He never went after girls, and I always hoped as he would never fall in love with mortal woman, only with a current so it knocked all the heart out of me when he took to staying out in the evenings, and then brought the girl in one night as his future wife. Horace was the prettiest baby you ever seed, and when he used to sit on my knee with his head all over golden curls, like a picture book, I used to hate to think that somewhere a girl-child was growing up to take him from me, and to think it's come now just when I thought I was safe and he no more likely to marry than the Pope of Rome, being close on thirty, and falling in love for the first time, and she won't have me to live with them. Mrs. Wells has been telling me I mustn't stand in the young people's way. Of course I don't want to stand in their way, but I'm wondering how I'll shift without oars. He always made the fire and brought me a cup of tea, "'before he went to his work. "'And when the rheumatics took me bad, "'he'd help me dress "'and be as handy as a woman. "'I can't get the work I used to. "'My eyesight isn't what it was, "'and my fingers are stiff. "'No, I ain't what I was, "'and I suppose I mustn't expect it, "'being turned sixty-seven. "'And I ain't old enough either "'for them pensions.' "'Well,' If it ain't Esther, you're early, lass, and it's not your evening out neither. I've just been telling this lady how Ruby won't have me to live with him. It's upset me shocking, the thought of leaving Oris after all these years. I'm trying not to complain, and I know Oris has been a son in Ten Thousand, but I'm afeard of the lonesomeness, and I don't know how I'll live. Mrs. Wells says if the guardians see my hands they won't give me no outdoor relief, but they'll force me into the house, and I'd sooner be in my berry hole. And again the poor old lady sobbed into her pocket handkerchief. Don't cry, mother. It's all right. You shan't go on the parish. Never fear. Neither for outdoor relief nor indoor relief. I've left my place and I'm coming to live with you and take care of you to the end of your days. I'm not Orris, I know, but I'm your daughter, and after the courtin's over, Orris will be your son again. Left your place, Esther? What do you mean, lass? What I say, mother, Orris wrote, and told me what Ruby said. And I was that sorry. I went and gave notice. Orris is awful upset, too. But there, It is no good talking to a man in love, and perhaps Ruby will get nicer. She's a young thing yet, so when I told my lady all about it, she let me come away at once. The family is going to the Riviera next week, and the housekeeper can manage quite well. You've left your good place, Esther, all for me? Yes, all right, old dear. I've got a fourteen-year character from my lady, and I'll soon find something to do. I'm not the sort as starves. And Esther rolled up her sleeves, made up the fire, and poured the contents of the indignant kettle into the little black teapot. Oh, dear, wailed the old lady. You must not do this for me, lass. You're heaping coals of fire on my head. "'For as Mrs. Wells often said to me, "'Don't be so set on oars. "'Remember you have a girl, too.' "'I was always set on the boys, "'and not on the girls. "'Women's life is a poor game. "'And when I heard of them "'eathen Indus who killed the girl babies, "'I thought it a very sensible thing, too. "'Better than letting them grow up "'to slave for a pittance.' But it is you now who are the faithful one, and she drew Esther's face down to hers and kissed her fondly. Tears rose in the daughter's eyes. She seemed to remember with a sense of loss that her mother had never kissed her like that since she was a little child, before Horace was born. End of chapter sixteen. Recording by John Brandon.